and um, lovely for us to be getting started um, in this uh, series of Roof as we sort of get things going. Um, but yeah, as we go, how about we um, lift our eyes to God, let's spend some time in prayer, uh, and then we'll get right into it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are a good God, and Lord, even if sometimes we don't really know what exactly is going on, help us, Lord, to uh, now look to you. And I pray now as uh, we look at the beginning of Ruth, help us to cast our eyes to you, uh, help us to open our hearts and listen to you. And may my words um, be faithful and clear. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. All right, well, I'll start with a question. So how many of you guys were born overseas? Hands up if you were born overseas. Wow, fantastic. That's a lot. And how many of you had parents who were born overseas? That, that's me. I'm putting my hand up as well. Yeah, so it's quite a common experience, and uh, it's huge for us when, we're, when either it's us or whether it's uh, your parents, or someone that you know moving from one country to another. Uh, I'm going to tell you a story about my dad. So about 40 years ago, my dad, he moved from Malaysia to Australia, and he was seeking a better life. So when he moved, he hadn't finished high school yet, so uh, he finished his high school in Dandenong in Victoria. So there's, there's another story as to how I ended up here, but I'll tell you that later. Uh, before he ended up going to Monash University. And he was one of the first in his family to actually go to uni. And all of this was possible because of his parents' selfless sacrifice. Um, his grand so, well, my grandpa and his dad worked really hard to send him over here. Now, although my dad went to uni, he chose the shortest degree because for him, he wanted to uh, start earning money quickly so that he could pay back all that uh, his dad and his mum, so my grandparents, had contributed for him to come here. Uh, he also had to work several part-time jobs too, uh, and he also told me later on that he chose not to make too many friends because he felt like he didn't have enough money to go out and share meals, and yeah, so that was, that was really tough for him as he went through uni. So perhaps when he first came to Australia, he had big dreams, and big hopes, and maybe that's many of you guys as well, uh, big dreams and big hopes, but his uni experience and his initial years in Australia probably weren't what he was hoping for. But, you know, fast forward 40 years, and he's made a life for himself here in Australia. And, uh, but for some of us who've moved here from overseas, or uh, for some of us whose parents have moved here from overseas, uh, this sort of better life that we've been chasing might not have actually happened. Leaving home for Australia might not have been an easy decision for many of us. Some of us may have left as refugees, some of us may have left behind family or faced significant personal disappointment and tragedy. And it's tragic. Well, so today, as we start in Roof, today as we start in Roof, we'll meet several people who faced difficult circumstances and had differing responses. And how we'll do it today, we're actually going to be looking at this through the perspective of the three women in Ruth chapter 1. So Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth. 
And so we'll start by considering Naomi's journey. So Naomi, who we were introduced to in uh, Ruth chapter 1, she, had a particular, she lived in a particularly unpleasant time in Israel's history. She probably grew up hearing stories of God's amazing promises to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, promises to her people in Israel. And she would have heard how Moses had led Israel out of Egypt, rescued them, and she would have also heard how God had spoken to his people and told them how to live, and how uh, his assistant Joshua had started the conquest of the land afterwards. But look at how things were now for Naomi. After Joshua died, the people turned away from God, and it seemed like God's promises had hit a roadblock. People from all around started to overwhelm Israel, including the people of Moab, a nation that was related to Israel. And worse still, there was now a famine in the land. And so even getting food onto the table was just really tough. But things weren't all bad. Because you see, Naomi had been blessed with a husband named Elimelech, a man whose name literally means my God is king. So maybe there was some hope there. But sadly, what happened was, Elimelech had recently said that he was moving and taking everyone with him. So they started off in Bethlehem up there, and he wanted to move the whole family into Moab. Crazy, because this is the country that had terrorized Israel. And now he was thinking about moving there. And he told Naomi, oh, you know, it's only going to be for a little while, only until things get better in Israel. But Naomi, she, she knew what was going on. She was smart. She was like, Limelech, what are you doing? Like, are you no longer believing that God is your king? She could see that he did, he'd lost his hope and he didn't believe that God could he- keep his promises to his people. But what could Naomi do. She couldn't exactly say no because her husband had told her that they were going and that was that. And if she was concerned, her husband had actually quite a solid reason to move. Things weren't exactly good in Israel. You move when in these circumstances things aren't as good. So willingly or not, Naomi moved to Moab with her husband and her two sons. But unfortunately for Elimelech, the little while he had planned ended up being a lifetime because he died in Moab, never to see his homeland again. Now poor Naomi, she was stuck. Things only got worse as both of her sons died. No longer was she the Naomi full of hope. As we see uh, in another translation, uh, which sort of matches more what the original text was going. So we're reading from the ESV. And both Marlon and Killian died so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. It's tragic because we see that Naomi was alone, a foreigner in a hostile land, a nobody not even worthy of a name. So as the little while stretched to 10 years, Naomi heard that God had rescued his people again. So that was, that was great news. But she probably was also thinking, oh, you know, that's great. But where was God while all this tragedy was happening 
in my family. Although she was bitter at the ordeal she had gone through over the past decade, she decided, all right, I might as well return home. And more than return home, to repent. Because interestingly, the Hebrew word that is translated to return or to go back also has the meaning to repent. Because willingly or not, Naomi had, just as Elimelech had, abandoned her God, her people, and her land. Here, as Naomi was preparing to return, she was also repenting, turning back from her rejection of God to live out the rest of her days in Bethlehem. Now, when the women in her hometown saw her again, they were shocked. Where had she been all these years? They cried out to Naomi, but Naomi responded with a tinge of sadness and bitterness. And we read this in verses 20 to 21. Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. You see, although Naomi had returned, even repented, she was still bitter. It felt as though God had gone out of his way to make her life miserable. Four times she says that God is responsible for her suffering and for her misfortune. Her God, the Almighty, who she knew had power over her life. Naomi was back, but God had some explaining to do. And to be honest, who can blame her? But she was by no means alone and empty. It's true that Naomi had suffered terrible things over the past decade, yet even in her suffering, there was still hope. God had come to help his people, and God was clearly powerful enough to bring relief to his people. God had even preserved and blessed Naomi with a faithful daughter-in-law, Ruth, that we haven't even mentioned yet, who had followed her all the way back to Bethlehem. Naomi couldn't fully understand and feel God's love, and she She was far from the only one. So let's pause and rewind as we consider Naomi's other daughter-in-law, Orpah's journey. So let's think about it from Orpah's perspective. One day, she sees a strange family arrive in town. They speak a different language, have different customs, different tastes, and they even worship a different god. Later on, she finds out that they were the mighty Israelites, the people who had gone around Moab on their way to conquer the neighboring countries where they were living now today. So what, what were they doing there? Was their land bad? Like, what was going on? Are they, are they here to try to get back at Moab after um, all the things that Moab had done against them? Well, Orpah eventually heard that this family had moved because the country was in chaos and there was famine in the land. Perhaps the God who had led Israel into this land wasn't that mighty after all, because, see, his people were deserting him, and the land he had given them. Well, after a while, Orpah ended up marrying into this family, marrying one of the sons of this family, and she'd heard about the blessings that might come to God's people, and so perhaps some blessings could come to her, you know, an extra blessing is nice too. But, Not long after that, she was left a widow. And to top that off, living with her widowed mother-in-law and her widowed sister-in-law. 
Where was the blessing in that? Three widows. Three widows living in the same house. People all around back then would have been muttering under their breath and wondering how such a tragedy could have happened. And then her mother-in-law, Naomi, gets some good news. The famine back in her homeland of Israel has been lifted. So maybe she could live out her years in peace. And maybe this is some hope for Orpah too. And so, dutifully, she prepares for the trip to go back to Israel before Naomi speaks to her and Ruth. Three times, Naomi speaks and says that they should return. They should go back, go back to their family and be remarried. And to be honest, her logic seems pretty reasonable because getting remarried would have removed the social stigma she would have faced as a widow and given her a good chance at a normal life. There were no more eligible bachelors that Naomi could provide. Naomi had made her point very strongly there. And it would be far easier for her to go back to her family, back to her customs, and back to her gods. Perhaps this was the way that God would bless her. Surely she'd been loyal enough, she'd stayed around. She, she could have just left, but she'd stayed with Naomi, even in this hard time. But even so, Orpah had spent a decent amount of time in this family, and she found it tough. It's tough to leave. It's tough to go back. And so with tears, she ended up returning to her people and returning to her gods. And to be honest, who could blame her? How many of us might do a similar thing if we were in her shoes? Orpah might have heard about this God of Israel, but she probably didn't understand the extent to which he loved his people. God had loved Israel at their very worst. When they were slaves in Egypt, they were following other gods and only cried out to him as a last resort. If God loved them at their worst, how much more would he love them now, even if they couldn't see the immediate benefits? The thing is, it's actually easier to be loved than to love. So when I was younger, I was a naughty child. I would disobey my parents. Uh, I would get angry when things didn't go my way and received my fair share of discipline, which sometimes included, you know, the nearest object. Um, <coughs> it's okay. I turned out all right. I'm normal. Uh, but my parents still loved me, even when, they, when, even when I had the nerve to say I hate you to their face. And that's tough. Some of you who are parents here today, you, you totally get this. Uh, you understand this deep sacrificial love uh, that you have for your children. And so on behalf of your children and also for me to my parents, I do say a deep sorry, a heartfelt sorry. But it does seem that one person in this account truly understood God's love, even though everything else didn't really make sense. And so for the final time, we're going to hit pause and rewind, and we're going to consider Ruth's journey. So, like Orpah, Ruth saw a strange family move into town. Like Orpah, Ruth heard about the God that these strange people worshipped. And like Orpah, Ruth married into the family only to face personal tragedy. So, having packed up her things, she's ready to move back to Israel, and then she hears the same thing from Naomi. Return. Go back. But how could she return? How could she just ditch or leave her poor mother-in-law all by herself? The question takes on more potency and more urgency when she sees Orpah 
kissing her mother-in-law, Naomi, and saying goodbye. What is she going to do? You see, Ruth had given her life to this family and to the God that this family worshipped when she married in. She, she'd taken a great leap of faith. She'd taken herself away from her family context, away from her customs, away from her gods, just to get married into this family. So how could she return, having taken all of these big steps? And so Ruth cries out to Naomi, and this is just touching love and loyalty. Ruth says, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Wow, that is love. Ruth was committed. She called God as her witness against her if she did not stay with Naomi. She knew that turning away now would be abandoning God and returning to the life that she had. But as Naomi had suggested earlier about her finding rest, she wouldn't actually have found rest at all. She would have been more miserable. Naomi had spoken of Ruth's steadfast love to her and wished that God would show his steadfast love to Ruth. We actually see this um, a bit earlier in, I think it was verse, uh, verse 11 or earlier as well. Naomi had spoken of Ruth's steadfast love to her and wished that God would show his steadfast love to Ruth. But if Ruth could love Naomi so much, how much more must God love Naomi? And how much more actually would God love Ruth? Ruth's great act of loyalty is amazing, and it seems like an unimaginable act of sacrifice today. How many of us might make a similar decision? (coughs) Except, when we think about it, her sacrifice, we actually shouldn't be surprised at all. You see, if you call yourself a Christian, then you made an equally unimaginable decision when you decided to give your life to Jesus. We've just come through Easter where we were reminded again of God's great love for us through the graphic image of His Son Jesus hanging dead on the cross. God loved you so much that He gave His Son up so that you could be with Him. And when you pledge your life to Jesus, you, you weren't doing an Elimelech. You weren't saying, all right, I'll just have a short journey. I'll wait and see, see how this goes. No, when you became a Christian, you committed to God moved by how much he had committed everything to you. Through every situation, you were going to live for God as he had given his all to save you from death and bring you to life. But perhaps you are doing it tough right now, sort of like what we saw with Ruth and Naomi and Orpah. You knew when you signed up to be a Christian that things could go bad, but you didn't realize that it was actually, that it was going to get this bad. Now, everyone in this room has different experiences uh, and different things that uh, you've gone through. And I'm, yeah, I, I can't speak into every single person's experiences now. But some of us, like Naomi, may be feeling bitter. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, God, how could you do this to me? Don't you love me, God? Why can't I feel your love right now, God? 
even though you've said this time and time again, you read this uh, in your Bibles, you read about the God of steadfast and compassionate love, but you just don't feel it. Maybe you're a new Christian or you've recently joined us here at SWEC, and that's fantastic. It's great to have you here. But you found it, perhaps you found it difficult to fit in and make friends as you found it hard to break into existing friendship groups. Maybe people seem a bit too busy, and although they are welcoming, they can't commit more time. Or maybe you've been coming to SWEC for many, many years, but you found it difficult to make deep, meaningful friendships at church. Uh, maybe you see the same group of friends each week at church. You hang out, you go to lunch, but afterwards you don't really hang out much during the week. And when you want to raise up a tough issue, something that you're going through, people just don't really know what to say. Well, let me encourage you guys um, and us at SWEC. Let us at SWEC be known as a community of loving kindness. Let us be defined by our love for each other, just as Ruth loved Naomi. For as we love each other and look out for each other, we start to get a sense of God's amazing love for us and add to our growing wonder of Him. So earlier we read from Psalm 103, uh, and we read in there, for example, that the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. And that's fantastic, all these words. God, by His Spirit, will um, move our souls to feel His love. But how do we really get to know God's love? How do we really get to know it? And how do we really get to feel God's love? It's great to read this now, but how do we get to know and to feel it? Well, a bit later in the psalm, we read, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, for he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. You see, acting alongside this, God's love transforms from something we know in our head to something we feel in our heart as we begin to display this love that God has shown us to each other. For good or for worse, God has... Uh, given each of us here in this church family so that we might be able to show God's love to each other. And I pray that if you're feeling, if you're finding it difficult to feel God's love now, may you rediscover the passion and the fire you first had when you believed in God. May you see God's love afresh as you love others and as others love you. But if you're struggling right now, you have an amazing opportunity. Because first, you can let others in your church family here at SWEC be a blessing to you, showing you the love that they have been shown by God, just as Naomi had the blessing of Ruth. And second, you can live out and show the love that you have received from God to others, just as Ruth did to Naomi. Perhaps you might be single, uh, you might be feeling alone, you might be feeling discontent. Praise God for this season of life that He has given you and the church community He's put you in right here at SWEC. May others in church be seeking to disciple you, to spur you on in righteousness, eager to see you grow. May you use this time to grow friendships with others here um, at SWEC, to disciple others at church and serve God in a way that your married brothers and sisters 
perhaps cannot uh, due to other commitments that they've got. Or perhaps some of you uh, might be widowed or you know someone who is widowed, as Ruth was. Praise God for the season of life uh, that you had, though there may have been rough patches. May our church community be looking out for you, uh, for ways to love and support you, and may you use this as an opportunity to invite other brothers and sisters into your life to help them grow in their love of God as they love you, even as you feel God's love afresh as they love you too. Or perhaps you've come in today, you're, you're not a Christian. I hope that today you've seen the great love that God gives and has for His people and how Ruth mirrors this too. God deeply loves you. God wants you to follow Him. And He's not going to leave you alone, as I've just mentioned. You've got a whole community of brothers and sisters right here that are just waiting to love you and waiting to show God's love to you. And God as well, He even gives of Himself His Spirit so that you can get to feel and experience His love too. Well, today I've only just begun to just wade in the waters of this deep ocean that is God's love and consider the many ways that we could love each other uh, and to experience and feel again God's love. I want you to see today that God loves you no matter who you are and whatever situation you are in. Even if we have no idea what is going on, we can be sure and confident and trust that God loves us. May we keep looking for opportunities to love each other well here at SWEC as we feel God's love more and more. But love is tough. Uh, we know um, as we've, we've read here. And so it's important that we do ask God for help. So let's ask God for help now and let's uh, come before Him in prayer. Our loving Heavenly Father, thank You that You love every one of us so much more than we could ever know. Thank you for showing us what sacrificial love looks like through Ruth and through your son as we celebrated last week. May you help us to more deeply love you and each other. Rekindle our fire and love of you, for we are prone to wonder. Comfort us in our deep distress and show us again how amazing you are. Help us to want to live the way you have called us to live. We pray this knowing that you are transforming us by your spirit daily and helping us to love you. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.